artificial intelligence, I'll read it. And all my, 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 my kids are scientists, so uh, they will love it too. They are also listening, by the way. They are not here with us, but they are in their room sitting somewhere and listening to y'all talks. And uh, of course, uh, the topic is a uh, little bit, uh, uh, is a uh, little bit difficult to some, like I am, for example, one of them. I'll understand. I'd like to know what's going on. And uh, believe me, after you finish your speech today, I may be your disciple and read more about it. Okay? And I'll tell my son also to teach me what is all about uh, these various concepts of uh, uh, the latest uh, technology. Okay? My name is Dr. Adityanji. I am a volunteer at FIZI. FIZI stands for Friends of India Society International. FIZI was started by Ambassador Bhishma Agnihotri in 1975. And since then, in one way or the other, it has been active working with Indian diaspora, Friends of India, in various countries. It's an international organization. And since 2007, it is a non-political, non-denominational organization internationally. And our international president remains Ambassador Bhishma Agnihotri. Ambassador Bhishma Agnihotri is a very well-known personality internationally. He started his career back from India in state of Punjab. He was the youngest serving judge selected at an age of 24. He worked in Punjab state as well as in Delhi state as a judge before coming to United States. In 1985, he became the youngest ever Indian pers uh, origin person to become professor of law at University of Louisiana. And actually he continues to be professor at the same university. He also became chancellor of Louisiana State University system in which all the 13, 14 universities in state of Louisiana are there. He was the chancellor of that university system. And everyone knows that Dr. Bhishma Agnihotri also was appointed as ambassador at large by the NDA government when he served for a period of several years working with NRIs and working as an advisor to Indian Embassy in Washington, DC. He has been very active in public life. He continues to teach international law he continues to do a small legal practice, but most importantly, he has been a doyen or foe in US-India relationship and fostering Indian diaspora and India's interest all over the world. It's my pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Bhishma Agnihotri, who will introduce our esteemed speaker for today, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra. Actually, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra is a very well-known personality, but 
we will, for sake of this seminar, have him formally be introduced by Ambassador Bhishma Agnihotri. Uh, Ambassador Bhishma Agnihotri, please. Uh, we are very happy that Rajim Lotaji is here. I know him for a long time. I have worked with him and we have worked together on some uh, issues on, in the past. And I know he has been participating in some of the talks we had. And one of the best talks we had was uh, on uh, the area of uh, uh, the Tibet. And we had a very good meeting around Tibet and uh, he, he, he performed so well, gave good ideas and the issues involved in Tibet and other issues uh, regarding Tibet's future. Uh, so we had a very interesting, productive uh, debate on that issue. And I remember one of the persons I think who was from, uh, from Tibet area, he started crying, I think. Uh, so that was the kind of environment uh, we have worked together. But in spite of this, I have been following him very closely because I like to read things, and especially things that are very important. And uh, I, as I mentioned him earlier, uh, when I read Breaking India, and also uh, being different, uh, in other books, I was very much inspired. And I really couldn't understand why a person with so much variety of interests he has, he could still be a great scholar in his own way and also great writer. Uh, so he, he has shown me earlier, this a uh, few, few minutes ago, his latest book, I read that book also regarding artificial intelligence, etc. The only problem is I'm not a scientist. I can tell you that I'm a lawyer and a lo around lawyership, that those are my issues. But artificial intelligence, I'll read it. I know my, my, my kids are scientists, so uh, they will love it too. They are also listening, by the way. They are not here with us, but they are in their room sitting somewhere and listening to your talks. Uh, but at the same time, what we can, we have to talk about uh, our, our, our speaker because some people may or may not be knowing. He's a very, very polished, sweet, but uh, a sort of uh, not, uh, not usual politician type of person. He's a very low key person. Uh, that's my, that was my observation. He was with us, you know. He was very tolerant to everybody around him. Uh, all the speakers, I remember that too. But when I saw his biography, autobiography, which was sent to me, I was also shocked for a few things, which I didn't know, to be honest. For example, I mean, I have to, I mean, because we have a speaker and everybody should know about the speaker, that he was initially trained uh, as a physicist and then a computer scientist, specializing in artificial intelligence. And then 
he had a corporate career and he became an entrepreneur and founded many, several companies all over the world. And of course, I already told my son who was around here somewhere, he's a medical doctor <laughs> to read this book and he will, uh, he's, uh, he's visiting me at this uh, so, so I don't want to get into too many things about him. Highly educated man, uh, went to St. Stephen College, Delhi, and all those things. And he got a lot of awards, a lot of goodies. But when I saw the last item on this sheet I have with me, I was very much thrilled because I'm basically, I, I, I'm, I grew up in India. I went to schools like uh, people normally go. I, I went to Christian schools, by the way, uh, because my father was in the army. And uh, so, but what I, when on December, on, on November 6, 2018, he delivered his first lecture organized by the School of Sanskrit and Indic studies on the topic of Sanskrit, Sanskrit non-translatism. I, I don't know. I'm a, I was a student of Sanskrit also, by the way. I, I enjoyed every part of Sanskrit. I could speak Sanskrit, but that thrilled me a lot. Here's the person from this end to that end. He covered every end. And he's still the same person, I, I can tell you. When I saw him today after many years, I can see the same person who was standing with me on the stage talking about uh, Tibet issues. So I think we are honored, uh, Ajivji, that you agreed and very, very, very nicely agreed. You didn't make too much fuss about it because a lot of speakers make fuss about it that, okay, not this year, not this time, the next time, this time, but you were so kind, despite all that you, you are with us. And uh, of course, uh, the topic is a little bit, uh, uh, is a little bit difficult to some, like I am, for example, one of them. I'll understand, I'd like to know what's going on. And uh, believe me, after you finish your speech today, I may be your disciple and read more about it, okay? And I'll tell my son also to teach me what is all about uh, these various concepts of uh, uh, the latest uh, technology, okay? And again, thank you very much. And thank you, Tenji, again for, for, for using your time to be part of us. You always come with us anyway, okay? Okay, Rajivji, it's your job now. <laughs> thank you, uh, Ambassador Agnihotriji, and thank you, Dr. Adityanji. Uh, as uh, Ambassador Agnihotriji said, uh, we've known each other for a few decades uh, when he was the ambassador at large. <clears throat> India's ambassador at large, I think that's a very important position. I don't know if they have it now but they should. Uh, this is a, a, an ambassador, not for a particular country, but ambassador at large. So it's sort of like special things he can do anywhere in the world. 
and you know there are certain things that are within national boundaries so you have an ambassador for country a b c within that those boundaries but there are certain things happening beyond boundaries so you need ambassador at large you know for example internet or uh, metaverse uh, or uh, you know the what's happening with artificial intelligence or what are the social sociological changes that are global you need a you need people who can think beyond boundaries and uh, uh, that position which uh, uh, bhishma agnihotri ji had i think it was in uh, vajpayee's time uh, uh, and and i kind of wonder why they don't have such a thing now but anyway that was a good time <clears throat> and i'm glad that he recalls uh, some of the good moments we spent together and some of the work we did together so today i'm honored that i've been brought to this good old organization fisi pc which has been around for many decades to speak on uh, a topic i i i i want to start the topic by saying that there are two big trends happening and i want to talk about how they come together one is the subject of this book which is on artificial artificial intelligence and the future of power five battlegrounds this is a book published last year uh, it's done very well and uh, if any it does not require you to be a scientist it does not require you to be a technocrat it's written for the general public uh, you if you are interested in understanding not it's not about how you write programs or uh, the technical details of how it works it's about how artificial intelligence is shaping your world shaping your job shaping your politics shaping your elections you know shaping the geopolitics how it's uh, it's like you know somebody's invented the printing press and it changed the world because new things could happen somebody invented the airline airplane somebody invented the car somebody invented the internet so these inventions are very strategic and change the world artificial intelligence is one of those things it's as revolutionary as the industrial revolution in england which led to the colonization the whole you know all the rise of england and france and so on so you don't need to understand it from a technological point of view but you need to understand what is its political impact what is its social impact what is its economic impact what is its impact on the individual person so that's how, what the book is about when i talk about five battlegrounds i'm talking about these kind i'm talking about geopolitics i'm talking military economic background economic impact impact on the individual psychology your lifestyle so <clears throat> don't be scared that it's a technical book because i made it work very hard to make sure that it's not a technical book uh i'll come to that in a moment but the other trend is far more exciting i mean and i'm writing my book on that now i've been working on it for over 2 years that's a book which will come out this summer and i don't want to announce the title and details and all that in by the middle of may i'm supposed to turn in the final manuscript we are already 2 months late to our publisher so we really working very hard I, i'm getting up at 4 or 5 o'clock every morning to try and finish that up it's a 600 page book it's a 600 page book and it describes what is happening to the world and to india through sociological changes so you if those of you who know my book breaking india 
might think of this as the, the breaking India 2.0, what exactly is happening that India should know about? Most Indians don't know about. So this book will, this new book I'm writing will talk about where are the major threats? What is happening to the discourse? Who is behind it? Who is funding it? And there are, there are many, many surprises. People think that all this work, that's a problem is done by a church or is done by some madrasas or something. But actually, there's a whole new group of people, uh, a completely new group of people who are now responsible for the next wave of damage and havoc that India has to be prepared to face. India can face. India has faced many things before. But India must be prepared. But India has also been found unprepared many times. Like when Babur came with cannons, we didn't know what to do. And that started the Mughal Empire. And the Portuguese came with the cannons on the boats. And we had no anticipation, no response to it. And the East India Company came and they did very many, many devious things very cunningly. And we, they, we were taken off guard. So, you know, we have a whole history of not being prepared, not being vigilant, not being out there looking for, looking at what's the, what are the latest trends and how could they affect us. And only when it's too late, when something has hit us, then we sort of figure out what to do. But then by then we've already lost quite a lot. So I'm the purpose of this book I'm writing is to educate our people about a very major trend, which I don't want to discuss now because it should be, it should be coming out in the book very soon. A very huge tsunami uh, affecting society that everyone should know about. So two things are happening. One is this society tsunami, and the other is this technology tsunami, which is AI. So the, the technology tsunami, which I've already written about in this book, I, I'm more open to talk about it. Basically, it goes as follows. You see, all the decision-making today, or till in the past, it was done by humans. So there was only limited scale at which you could operate. Uh, judge can decide only so much at a time. Uh, uh, government can make so many policies. The social, the media can uh, make decisions only, you know, one article at a time. Should we allow this? Should we not allow this? Uh, so things were happening at the scale at which humans could operate. And that's limited. But artificial intelligence, for the first time in history, allows technology to sometimes augment human capacity, sometimes replace human capacity, sometimes mimic human capacity, sometimes surpass human capacity. So I'll give you examples where it surpasses. If you look at facial recognition, facial recognition technology with AI is able to recognize faces more accurately than human beings and faster. And on a gigantic scale, you could never do it with enough people. Same with speech recognition. Same with, uh, you know, fingerprint to open up your phone. Uh, these are just little examples. But the major breakthrough of AI is to decode your psychology as a person. So AI's ability to figure out Bhishma Agnihotri's behavior, what is he likely to do? How is he likely to react when we give him some options, when we throw some ads at him, when we throw some you know, ideas, is he likely to click, not click? 
So being able to predict his behavior, being able to drive his behavior, being able to channel his emotions, AI is becoming better and better at that. And in fact, some of the smart, really good AI systems know more about you than maybe yourself, maybe your spouse, maybe your friends. Because you, you are conscious of a lot of things about yourself, but we are limited to human memory. We are, limit, we are limited by forgetfulness and AI doesn't forget. So it keeps accumulating more and more knowledge about each and every individual. So now, now the sophistication of AI is such that you can figure out who are likely to agree with this issue or that issue, who are likely to vote this way or that way. How do I put in false news to motivate this guy in a certain way? How do I spread a rumor against somebody to, uh, for, so that this person will believe me? It's kind of uh, taken over the job of a human being to do propaganda, to do marketing, to do education, whether it is for good reason, like education, or telling you about medicine, whether it is for mischief, whatever it is that humans can do, AI can also do. So you can have very good AI good, uh, in terms of moral and ethical type of values. You can also have very harmful AI doing da dangerous things. And in all those ways, it, can, it, has a, it has more bandwidth, more capacity than human beings do. And frankly, much more competence, much more speed. And it doesn't fall ill, it doesn't get tired. I mean, it just goes on and on. And it is getting smarter and smarter every day. So this is a very big revolution. And so what is happening is now media is not driven by human beings. Media is driven by algorithms. And these algorithms are artificial intelligence algorithms. And they are being constantly trained and made smarter and smarter with machine learning. So this is a very gigantic, uh, you could think of it uh, as a, great technological gift, or you could think of it as a monster, depending on your point of view and depending on the type of AI. Uh, like industrial evolution is great. So many great things happen. But industrial evolution also allowed people to be colonized. It allowed, it led to the loss of jobs of a lot of people in the poor countries and Britain and France became super rich. So will USA and China be the super rich and kind of the rest of the world being squeezed? That, those are the kind of issues in my book. The, the, the primary threat to India's sovereignty comes from the use of AI that can manipulate human emotions, make you fight another group because you become convinced that they are your enemy, teach you an idea of history that may or may not be fully correct, maybe sensationalized, tell you who, who, you know, politically what you should do, what you should not do, tell you some good stuff, some lies, fake news, all of that is part of this game. So emotional management, manipulation, uh, creating artificial conflicts, managing the outcome of elections, identity manipulation, identity conflicts, all of this is part of AI. So, it's, it's, so this is why, you know, uh, I keep telling people in India that you have to take this whole thing seriously. And, and I'm not totally satisfied that uh, Niti Ayog understands the full ramifications or FIKI, the, the, the industry group, uh, fully understand. Indians are very smart. And so there are a lot of Indians involved in AI, making money for themselves. I'm talking about the impact on society. I'm not talking about the ability to write code and make money for yourself 
or to start an AI company and uh, sell services to Americans and make a lot of money. I, I, that is being done and good, everybody is, can get involved and make some money. But I'm talking about looking after society, looking after those who are vulnerable. And AI can be used as an exploitation, exploitation device. AI also has bias for and against a civilization, a cultural point of view. Um, it, it, blacks have complained that there is bias against them. Gender people have complained that there is bias against certain genders. Women have complained. I am aware that there is bias against our civilization in many of these algorithms. Uh, I'm very happy today. Uh, Twitter has been taken over by Elon Musk, but let's see what he does with it. The previous guys, Jack Dorsey and all, were no good in terms of bias, prejudice, nonsense. You know. And let's, let's see what uh, Elon Musk does. I mean, he's a smart guy, but he's also greedy. He wants to make money. So let's see what, let's see, let's give him a chance and see what happens. Uh, but having a, a level playing field, which is neutral is very difficult because after all the algorithms have to be given some guidance. They have to be given some data. They cannot just become smart on their own. They have to be given examples and millions, billions of those. So whoever is feeding the, the data to the uh, algorithm is making the algorithm according to that. So if you, uh, if you were to go to the dialogues going on in a madrasa, and if they have written their, uh, their uh, uh, proceedings for the last uh, 20, 30 years on all the topics in the world, if they're having discussions about you know, marriage and about uh, politics and about economy, whatever they're, they're doing, uh, and, and you feed that into the AI and the AI learns based on that, it's like raising your child in a madrasa. So whatever they're teaching, the child is learning. But if you take the same child and you put him in a Christian convent and uh, he reads about Bible and he reads about certain values, then you train him differently. And so similarly, if, if that is the information you feed to the uh, AI, machine learning, then you know, the, you're training the algorithm differently. So algorithms are not neutral. Algorithms are based on how you educate them, just like a child is raised or in a particular schooling system. And depending on the curriculum and the teachers and the focus, the value systems, the child grows up accordingly. So AI is now in the stage of being like a uh, teenager. Uh, it's no, not a child anymore. It, it used to be a child many years ago. It's become like a teenager and it's rapidly learning. And I'm disturbed and concerned that our people are not there involved in teaching this the global AI systems according to our values. This is not happening. This is what I want to happen. This is where I would like to collaborate with uh, Vishamji and uh, uh, Adityanji and many others who are here. And maybe there are people listening who want to join. Uh, I, I, because I feel that once the AI systems of the world have developed a certain prejudice, they're already developing that it'll be very hard to fight it because that prejudice will go into media, it'll go into government policy, it'll go into courts and judges, uh, it'll, it'll go into education system. Uh, you know, so this is beginning to happen. All the prejudice and uh, Hindu phobia and breaking India that we've talked about, complained about for the last 20, 30 years is now being incorporated into algorithms. So it's becoming far more dangerous. So I, uh, I want to contrast India and China in this regard because China made some huge multi-billion dollar bets more than a decade ago. They picked about, a, about 10 technologies of the future. They picked solar, they picked uh, things like uh, 
electric vehicles, uh, robotics, artificial intelligence, things like that, nanotechnology. So they, they, they picked technologies of the future and they put billions of dollars onto it. The government did that. Uh, they, they thought the private industry will take too long, so they seeded this. India didn't play, take these bets. India took our brain power and we marketed, rented it out to the Americans that you can rent our brains and do what you want with it. So the Indian brains uh, built, built Apple, built Microsoft, built Facebook, built Google, built Amazon. Because you go to these places, huge percent of the brains who built these are Indians. But that's not belonging to India. It is not product, it is not an asset belonging to India. It's an asset belonging to the Americans. We are the laborers who done the work. And we can get pat on the back saying, but we cannot say that we own these things. Whereas in China's case, they took these technologies and they invested and they built it for themselves. So this is a, this is a lesson to learn. The rise of China and uh, the rise of India also started about the same time, but different, different ways, different direction. China putting a lot of emphasis on its own autonomy, its own values being incorporated in the technology, uh, in, into owning the technology. Beg, borrow, steal, just get the technology to us in China. That's all they wanted to care about. And India is going around spend, sending lakhs of people here and there to develop other people's technology, like, you know, bantoing prashad or something. Sabko prashad de do. But we're, we're not, uh, Chinese are more kind of uh, very self-centered, very strategic. I'm pointing this out in the next book also. I'm doing a whole comparison of India versus China in terms of the discourse, how they've created it, and, and the social order, the social order that they've been developing uh, based on this and uh, using it against us in some ways. So, Bhishmaji, uh, what I'd like to do is to conclude. And uh, thank you very much, everybody.